So Acts 17, 16 through 21, the sermon title is The City Unmasked. Paul is in the city of Athens. Now while Paul was waiting for them, now that's Silas and Timothy, he left them in Berea. While Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was beholding the city full of idols. And so he was reasoning in the synagogues with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him and some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the uh, Areopagus, which is basically Mars Hill, okay, saying, May we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. We want to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. Amen. We'll stop there. This setting on Mars Hill, uh, and in Greek mythology, the counterpart to the Roman mythology of Mars being the god of war is Ares. And so the Areopagus is the hill of Ares. It's the same thing, or translated kind of like in the counterpart of Roman mythology, Mars Hill. And this setting of Paul being in the city of Athens, it's an interesting one. Athens was a great cultural city, right? Especially during the Greek Empire. When the, the Grecian culture was at its pinnacle, you, you saw so many wonderful cultural things happening all throughout its realm. Now the Roman Empire had been in power now, and the, the, the glory days of Athens were well in its past, but nonetheless, Athens was a city of character. There was much history to be seen, noticed, experienced. It would be something where you, in a sense, you got off the plane and immediately your eyes would have been struck by all of the things surrounding you. There would be no shortage of photography material. Right? You'd be looking around and saying, wow, that's amazing. Look how old that is. And you'd be recounting in your heart the stories of lore, the history of the place you are at. Paul is in such a place. I don't know if you've ever visited a place with such history. Now in America, our history, you know, being like two centuries old. But say you've traveled to Europe or different parts of Asia where the, where the city you are in and its history spans centuries, millennia. Like it goes way into the thousands of years. You, you visit China and you see something from, let's say, the Ming Dynasty. You go to Europe or France and you see museums that are literally over 500 years old. A thousand years old. Athens would have been such a place. Paul is in this city. He's like, wow, like, there is like, so much to look at. It might not be at its tip-top shape, but wow. This is where Paul's at. 
So Paul has been traveling, right? This is the map that I've shown you in previous weeks. This is the first, uh, sorry, second missionary journey. So he's going, going through the churches that were planted on the first journey up there. God says no to certain areas. And he goes to Macedonia and Philippi. We saw him in Thessalonica and Berea. And after leaving Berea by force, he sails to Athens. And he's in this basin of history and cultural wonderfulness, right? Timothy and Silas have been left behind, and while he's waiting for them, it says his spirit was provoked. There was something inside of him that just urged him, I got to get out into the city, and I got to talk to people right now. I got to tell them something, right? And so he goes to Mars Hill and he begins to share what's on his heart for all, anybody that would listen, whether they were locals or strangers visiting. He's like, you know what, I got something to say and I, and I need to tell it to you. It's just bubbling up inside and I can't contain it. That's the phraseology of he was provoked to share something with the people that were there. Couldn't even wait for Timothy and Silas to, get, to, to accompany him in the city, right? And as he's walking around the streets and he's seeing the structures, the statues, everything that was present, there was something that happened in Paul. He began to look behind the concrete, the wood. He began to see behind the walls and the years of construction and the activity of the places and squares. And he began to see what they were celebrating. He began to see not the movement of the people, but the motivation of the movement. And he began to see not the concrete or the steel or the statues and the wood that was present before him, but he began to see why it was there, why the people placed it there, the prominence that it had in the hearts and families of the people of that city. And as he began to look out into the square in the marketplace and he saw the faces and the statues and all of the structures, his heart was moved within. And he began to see a city that was lost. Yes, it had a great cultural past, but he saw people that were wandering. He didn't see the glory of its history. He began to see the waywardness of its inner spirit. And he's just crying out to everybody. You see all these deities? You see all these statues and gods and all of the things that you've erected for your purpose in life? What, what gets you up in the morning? What you think brings meaning to your future? All of these things, I want to let you know something. And inside, it's just coming up. It's just coming up. And he's telling them what it really is. It's getting beyond the surface. And this is the beauty what we see in Athens. Now, here, here's a picture, right? Paul is just, uh, anybody that would be listening, some, I mean, I think the picture does a little bit of justice. Some are, are really kind of just like waiting for every drop of wisdom to come out of this man. And others are just like, ah, eh, it's nothing new. I mean, ugh, whatever. Just idle, careless, right? And Paul's speaking through the unction of the Spirit and he's just sharing the heart of God. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to peel back the surface of the city so that its inhabitants can actually see what it really is. Now, uh, I mean, a couple of uh, our members are into like 
interior design and, and stuff like that. But you've probably heard of the word veneer before, right? A veneer. A veneer is simply, it's a thin layer of wood or other material for facing or inlaying wood. Okay? And if, if you kind of think, just think about IKEA furniture. <laughs> That's all you've got to think about, right? You know that little uh, particle board stuff underneath and it's like laid over with stuff that looks like wood? That's kind of what you need to think about, okay? Like on the surface, it, it, I mean, when you come up close, like, of course it doesn't look expensive, right? But the, 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 the picture of what it's supposed to be is that there's just a layer on the surface giving an image of something that seems to be more valuable or expensive than what it really is underneath. Okay, it's just a veneer, a veneer. It's just something that's on the surface, a superficiality. And a, another definition is a superficially valuable or pleasing appearance. Right? Maybe you can translate that to people you know, right? How, how people might look, like they, they have a pleasing appearance, but when you kind of peer deep down inside, it's like, ah, there's a little bit of a difference there that I see. And so a veneer is something of a projecting of an image from the surface that's different from what's underneath. And this is what Paul's doing. He's taking the top layer of Athens, literally, and just peeling it off and showing everybody the frailty of what's underneath. It looks all glossy and glamorous and great and strong, full of history and meaning. But if I peel it off, I want you to know that what's underneath these deities is nothing but crumbled particle board. That's what I want to show you, Athenians. And this is what he's crying out on the hill of Mars. He's getting beyond the surface. And I think this speaks to the heart of Jesus. There is a, a verse in the book of Revelation that a lot of the times is quoted as an evangelistic verse, right? Revelation, sorry, Revelation 3.20. And it's when, you know that famous picture of Jesus and there's a door and it has no knob? Have you ever realized that it had no knob? If you ever look back at that picture like that, it's got no knob and it's like him there, right? And it's basically Revelation 3.20, right? Behold, I, I stand at the door and I, and I knock. If, if you hear me, and you open it up, I'm going to come in and I'm going to sit and dine with you, right? And the imagery here is that Jesus doesn't want to be on the outside. He wants to get inside. Now, of course, it parallels in the analogy to our hearts that he's, he's at the door of each person's heart and saying, don't let me stay on the outside. I want to get real with you. I want to sit with you. I want to be with you. And I want to really have fellowship, right? I want to get to the heart of it to who you are, the meaning of your life. And you see the gospel wanting to do that, whether it be in Old Testament or New Testament. There seems to be, like in the Old, there was the temple that was being uh, built, or the, or the tabernacle, you have the outer courts, and you got a building and a structure of a holy place, and you go even further in, and there's a holy of holies. And it seems to be that God wants to meet in the inner place. That, that's where God wants to meet. And so Jesus is standing at the door on the outside and saying, I want in. I, I want to know you for what you really are, not the surface of your structure and the image that you're portraying, but I want to know how you live when I get indoors. How you speak, who you are, what you value, what you're striving for, the motivations. I want in. That's why I'm knocking out here. Let me in. And this is kind of the trajectory of the gospel, getting to the heart of the matter. And that's exactly what Paul is doing in Athens, right? 
He's saying, you know what? All right, the city looks like, okay, it's got history and stuff. But let me tell you, let me get to the heart of the matter and share it with you. And he begins to, of course, from the platform of the deities, in a very approachable manner, he begins to share Jesus Christ. And he begins to tell them the meaning of the gospel, the resurrection, and true meaning in eternal life. And he springboards from the things that he sees in the city. And so with this setting, I'll, I'll share a couple of things. The first is this, right? See things for what they really are, right? Just as you look forward to a year in front of you, any transitions that might happen, the circles you're a part of, the projects you will do, the people you will encounter, as you just go about life, we need to train ourselves to see things for what they really are. Today, on that pastor's note, I wrote for you this idea about focus, right? Have you ever looked through binoculars or had a pair of glasses that were just like either the wrong prescription or binoculars were out of focus from the distance? of your object that you're trying to look at, right? And so usually there's a little knob on the binoculars or telescope, and what it is is a calibration knob, right? It changes the depth of focus for looking through this optical device. That's all it does. You can have your phone out nowadays, right? And you take your phone and you just tap on the part of the screen, and, the, and the, the sensors inside your phone will focus in on the depth of field of wherever that object is that you're tapping on on the screen. And everything else blurs out, whether you're tapping on a far object or a close object, right? It's, it's that idea of calibration, focus, right? And how important focus is, right? If I'm trying to look at a far object, but my, my calibration is nearsighted, there's going to be a lot of blur there. I won't know depth. How far really is that? I can't see any details. Or if I'm trying to look at something close and I'm calibrated for really far, the same thing happens. Right? Focus. The be, to be able to zero in and calibrate in, in the correct depth of field, it brings clarity, confidence. You know, we were singing a song today. And one of the lines of the song talks about God being enthroned upon the praises of a thousand generations. As soon as the praise team was singing that line, I immediately began to, wait, a generation, let's just, I was doing the calculation in my mind, let's say a generation is like 25 years, let's just say, right, generously or not, not generously. 25 years, and I thought, a thousand generations. Wow. All of those years, and I began to just go back and go back, and go back and say, wow, 25,000 years of people praising the Lord. And I began to even just go back 2,000, 2,500, 3,000 years, and I began to see not just Martin Luther in the 1500s or Augustine, I began to see the first century Christians, and then I went back, Malachi and King David, and I began to see a cloud of witnesses here in our room. It was such a weird feeling that I had in, in praise. It was like what Hebrews was saying, that we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Because in the moment of my worship right there, my calibration shifted. My calibration changed from actually being in this room with the people that were around me to actually a more eternal perspective of how God is receiving praise amongst a thousand generations. And I saw David on the walls. I saw Malachi. And I began to see the reformers. In every praise that was happening, in every crevice of the world, in small rooms and large rooms, in, in caverns and taverns, and there was this beautiful chorus arising to God. 
And then I saw back and I calibrated to us here. And I began to see us as a small blood vessel. Imagine you just zeroed in through a microscope on one blood vessel. And I saw it as a church. And that blood vessel connected to the next, 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 to the next. And I began to see our church in perspective of eternity. And it's about calibration, isn't it? That as soon as you begin to calibrate on kingdom things, it changes the motivation, the direction even at times, of what we're trying to achieve in life through our careers or families. And that calibration is so important. If we calibrate our lives based on tabloids and news media or social media, the direction of our lives, I can kind of already see where it would be going. But if we calibrate on something that's timeless, as Paul was trying to do here, we begin to see a provocation in our hearts. We begin to see a confidence in the words, regardless of the setting or the crowd. So we need to see things for what they really are, to not get swayed by the lights or, or the history. Paul, I, I don't see him as your typical tourist, right? He wasn't out kind of snapping pictures everywhere. <laughs> Selfie, right? <laughs> Look, the Mars Hill behind me, woo! All right? But he began to see the history of that city for what it really was. And I, I want to encourage us to have that same frame of mind as we look to whatever is in front of us, as we look to what it would mean to grow our career. Why was I really doing this? What does this really mean to work like this? What does it really mean to have this, to be spoken of like this? And as you begin to uncover, unpackage, and peel away the surface of what those have meant so far, and you get to the heart of it, Maybe you begin to change course. Okay? That's first. Second is this. Know that the gospel and its blessings are timeless. Now, the end of our passage, it says that the Athenians and anyone who came into that city, they used to consume themselves in nothing else but telling something new. <laughs> that's like, I, in my opinion, that's like modern day culture to me, right? I mean, if you think about it, like, think about the pace of news media or social media. Like, how fast does it go? I mean, headlines, like, like, I mean, there was like a mass shooting yesterday, and today we're talking about something different already, right? It was the biggest wildfire in California's history, and it was just a little while ago. People have lost homes, displaced, everything gone. People died, businesses completely brought to ashes. And still, I mean, how many of you have thought about the wildfires yesterday? today when you woke up, right? And so the pace in which information, new stuff, the next headline comes at us is like bam, 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 bam. And we don't have a chance to really dwell. We don't have a chance to really sit with something, to understand it, to appreciate it, to dive into its deeper significance because our world is constantly pushing new stuff at us. And this is what the Athenians were doing. You know what? Hey, what's the, what's the new, next new thing today, right? And they were like the information snobs. Have you ever met somebody like an information snob? Right? They always need to know the next thing, right? I'm kind of like that a little bit, right? And so it's one of those things, like, if I start reading something, like, I, I, I skim to save time, but 
I'm the type of person when I skim, I feel guilty. Do you know, like, I feel like if, like, there's something that I'm going to miss out of the reading here that I just want to get, right? And so, uh, but Athenians, they were like information snobs, right? They, they needed to know the next new thing. And they consumed their days in nothing else but talking or listening to new, new stuff. And so Paul, he's speaking, all right, we'll give you a platform. Say what you need to say. But his message wasn't just about the next new thing. His message was about something that was timeless. And as Paul was sharing, I see it encapsulated in a passage in 1 Peter. It says this, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, though the living and enduring Word of God, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. As he's looking out upon the crowd on this hill, he preaches to them not something that withers, not something that's going to go out of fashion or style tomorrow or the week after. The word which he was preaching was a timeless one, was something that would endure for them, their families, and generations. And this is the gospel, isn't it? It's something that is always relevant to us. We don't need to find a new twist on Calvary. We don't need to to re-drape Jesus in, in fresh clothing all the time just to make sure that He's cutting edge. Jesus, as is, He's relevant. He was relevant 2,000 years ago, and He's relevant today. The message of the gospel is still changing lives. It's wrapped around the globe Hundreds, thousands, millions of times through the Word. And as this gospel goes out, it's timeless. And so when we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, speak something provoked in our heart and share it with colleagues or family members, be assured that what we are sharing is something that is meaningful, enduring, as an anchor in somebody's life, is timeless. Let us understand that. And so I close. Praise team, you guys come back. As I close to wrap up, let me say two things. First, look at 2018 in front of you and let's get past superficialities. Uh, this will be a war because media has ADHD. Like, it does, right? It's just, it's hyper, right? And we have been trained to, to think about the next new big thing, headline. You'll have fashionistas telling, telling you the next things that you must wear or financial gurus telling you of the next stock you must invest in. And it's a never-ending thing of new information and new trends. Now, that's not bad in itself. But if we're steering our, our decisions or our year based on headlines, we're not going to get anywhere. We need to get past the superficialities of titles and all of the the cultural veneer that we see in common day Southern California life and get to something that's more substantial and meaningful and drive our decisions according to those things and undercurrent directing us. And lastly, represent Jesus to your culture. Be as Paul was in Athens. Be provoked inside and represent and speak the truth of Jesus to the people around you.
Amen. Amen.